It was still the wee hours of the morning, but it seemed as though the blackness of a thousand midnights pressed around them as they made their way slowly, sadly, dejectedly, through the desolate streets, out to the garden, and down to the tomb. He had been so much more than a friend. He had been their rescuer. He had been their hero. Yes, they had hoped that he would have been the long-looked-for Messiah. They had firmly believed it. They had staked their lives on it. But now, all hope was gone. It was all because of the wicked jealousy of the Jews, the, the evil conniving priests and the religious leaders. They had been plotting to kill him. But up until now, Jesus had had eluded their attempts. But in one week's time, Jesus had gone from from riding into Jerusalem triumphantly on a donkey to being arrested, betrayed, scourged, and crucified. Late on Friday afternoon, his body had been laid in Joseph's tomb. But the Sabbath came so soon that that they hadn't even been able to properly embalm his body. So now the women had risen up early, early on Sunday morning. And through tears, half dazed by their grief, not hardly knowing what they were doing or where they were going, they found their way through the streets of Jerusalem and out to the garden tomb. Wait, one of them said, Who's going to roll back the stone? In their haste, they hadn't even thought. The immense stone that closed the front of the tomb. Several strong men, at least, would have had to work together to roll that stone away. And here they were, just a few women. But they were already closer to the tomb than they were to go back home. So they they went on ahead, not knowing what they would find. Now, it's interesting, uh, back up for a minute. The Jews who crucified Jesus remembered something that all of his disciples seemed to have forgotten. A little detail of his teaching that all of his followers seemed to have glossed over. Uh, Turn over to Matthew 26. This is actually at the Last Supper, right before Jesus is betrayed. Judas already has the money in his pocket. But he's, he's there at the Last Supper in, in Matthew 26 and verse 31. Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, after I am risen again, notice those words, I will go before you into Galilee. Still, the disciples didn't get it. They're like, what is he talking about? Smiting the shepherd? I mean, that doesn't sound, that does not sound good. Rising again? I mean, this is all a big puzzle, a big mystery, even though he said it in such plain, plain language. I will go before you into Galilee. Now, I want you to make note of this because we're going to come back to it. Jesus says, I will go before you into Galilee. I get uh, appointments, reminders, and requests all week long in my work. 
I get them in my email, and sometimes there's just a little button that I can click on those, and I can say, add it to my calendar, and it's on my calendar. You, you know, you ever get those, hey, meet me next week on Monday morning at 9.30 in my office. All right, there, it's on the calendar. Jesus is setting an appointment with his disciples. After this feast is over, no, he says, more than that, after I rise again, they didn't know what he's talking about. I will go before you into Galilee. Put it on your calendar. Meet me in Galilee. Matthew chapter 20, verse 18 and 19. Jesus said to the disciples as they were going up to Jerusalem, he said, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. The third day he shall rise again. Now this is not an isolated statement, and we could spend the rest of this of this service looking at all of the times that Jesus foretold his death in so many details, not just his death, but each time he foretold his death, he foretold that on the third day, he would rise again. In fact, at his very trial, when he, the, the mockery of a trial, I should say, at his, at his trial, that the witnesses that testified against him that came up and said, this man said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Well, what was he obviously talking about? So the, the Jewish leaders knew what he, what he had said. Though his disciples forgot. And so in their, in their conniving and in their thinking, they, they said to themselves, what if, what if his disciples come in the night and steal away his body and then proclaim all through the area that he's risen from the grave? I mean, that would be a worse situation than we have now. So they had gone out and they had hired a whole band, a hundred Roman soldiers to stand there guarding the tomb. How many, I mean, who guards a tomb? I mean, seriously, once he's dead, he's dead, right? Who guards a tomb? So the Jews have heard all of this teaching of Jesus that he's going to rise again. And so they set a guard before the tomb. But the women there in the wee dark hours of that morning, they've forgotten all of that. All they can think of is that everything they've ever lived for, all of their hopes, all of their dreams, all of their purpose for living has been crushed in the death of their beloved master. Little did the Jewish leaders think that in hiring a hundred Roman soldiers to guard the tomb, they were hiring a hundred witnesses to the greatest event in human history. There, in the sleepy hours of that Sunday morning, an earthquake shook the ground. An angel from heaven descended in front of that tomb. We find that in Matthew 28. Just turn over a, a couple of pages. In verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. I always like that last little phrase, and sat on it. I, he's just like, 
that's it for you. If you're going to try to keep Jesus in this tomb, I'm going to sit on it, right? The angel rolled back the stone. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. To say they were stunned would be an understatement. Became as dead men. And as soon as they regained their composure, off they hurried to Jerusalem, telling everyone they met the incredible scene they had just witnessed. Only a few moments later, the women arrive at the tomb. It is apparent to them in one moment that everything has changed. The guard is gone. The stone that they were so worried about a few minutes before has been rolled away. And I like it in verse 5 here. The angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Jesus is not here, they said. He is risen. The title of my message today is The Reality of the Resurrection. The Reality of His Resurrection. I want you to think for a minute of the difference between the Christian teaching of the resurrection of Christ how it stands in contrast to everything we've ever thought about in the natural realm of things. The Christian teaching of Christ's resurrection stands at the heart of all Christian doctrine and belief. Were it not for the resurrection of Christ, were it not for this right here, we would not be here. The reality of his resurrection And because of this, my friends, I think, I believe that this is one of the teachings that the devil has worked the hardest to counteract, to undermine, to subvert, to to erase, if possible, from the Bible, even in the minds of some Christians. Think about it for a minute. You know, whenever we lose someone who who is close to us, it's natural to wish that that person was still with us especially someone who is as close as a spouse or, or a parent. I, you know, I lost my father a year and a half ago. And every now and again, in fact, just in the last couple of weeks, um, and it's, it's happened several times, I've, I've been asleep and I've had a dream, and I've dreamed about my dad. And it, it's always so depressing, I guess, to wake up and realize it was just a dream. Sometimes it's almost as if you can feel their presence, with you. You know what I'm talking about? And, and we say kind of that, you know, that their spirit lives on. And, 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 and it's true in a sense. You know, uh, this past week, and not to make, not trying to make light of it, but, uh, many of you, probably all of you are familiar with the great, uh, physicist Stephen Hawking. Um, he was, of course, uh, well known as, uh, outspoken as well as an atheist. He, uh, 
was a great philosopher, very, very, very brilliant uh, man. He suffered from, I believe it was ALS. Um, he was basically paralyzed. Um, so the only way he could communicate was through this computer, and he was able to, I guess, move his eyes and uh, type on this computer, and he could communicate through that. But extremely, extremely intelligent and brilliant. But, um, of course, all of the scientific community is very much mourning his loss. And, and you could say even to that very atheistic, agnostic, scientific community that the spirit of Stephen Hawking lives on in the work that he has done. Right? You could, you could say that. And, and so we have this sense of someone's spirit living on in a, in a sense that we, we know is completely metaphorical. It is not... It is not a literal, you know, that he's literally alive and living on, but because of all the work that he has done, the people that he has inspired, he lives on in the work that he has done, okay? So we have that. And sadly, I think that this this concept has influenced our, our, our view of Jesus Christ and that he lives on in the, in the movement that he started, this, this cultural idea of Christianity. And we, we, we almost divorce it from the reality that the Bible teaches of his bodily, living resurrection. There's another teaching, and I I won't go into this uh, very deeply, but it kind of begins with uh, sort of a Greek mythological view of, of spirituality, where you have the physical realm, and in the physical realm, you, as a body, you live here and breathe and move, but in the spiritual realm, there's a soul that is connected to your body, a spirit, so to speak, that, that has an existence and, and can live and move and, and, and exist outside of your body in a spiritual realm. So when your body dies, and I'm not saying that this is what I believe. I'm saying this is, this is the Greek, the Greek, um, mythological teaching that has been inherited by so much of Christianity that when the body dies, this this spiritual thing goes out from your body and inhabits another realm. We call that, in the Christian sense, heaven. So when the body dies, and any of you who've been to a, a funeral, uh, especially a funeral that's not uh, in this church, um, you go there and, and you see the, the uh, remains laying there in the casket and, and we're all crying, you know, because we've lost our friend. And the preacher will get up and Oh, Uncle Joe, he's, he's singing with the angels now. No, he's not. I can see him right there. He's, he's dead. And so there's this disconnect. And so, in, I guess in a sense, this whole idea of this, 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 uh, disembodied spirit kind of melds together with what our atheist friends teach us about the spirit of a person living on in a metaphorical sense. You go to heaven in a metaphorical sense, almost. That, yeah, that after you, you, you're at peace, you're at rest. And, and the, even in the Eastern religions, this idea of nirvana, of non-existence, melds together into a common whole, a common error that denies the reality of the bodily resurrection. Let me get back to the, to the story. But I wanted to just kind of digress there for a moment. Because that is, sadly, the situation that we find in the world, and all too sadly, within the realm of Christendom, by and large, 
we find a lot of Christians, and I talk to Christians on a day-by-day basis, who, who have, in one way or another, this concept that the resurrection is a spiritual thing. It's not really a real thing. I'm talking about the resurrection of believers. And, and so this resurrection of Christ, oh yeah, they believe in it, but how is it central to our understanding of everything else in Christianity? And so that's what I want us to look at, and I know we're, we're running short on time, but just very briefly, I want us to look at seven points, seven appearances of Jesus after his resurrection that prove the reality of his resurrection. First, right here in Matthew, in this passage we're reading, Matthew 28 and verse 8, So they, the women, they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! Jesus met them. Jesus, the the one who was hanging on the cross, that Jesus, not, not a spiritual form, not a ghost, Jesus met them and said, Rejoice! So they came and held him by his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go, tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and they they will see me. Notice that's three times so far that we've seen this arrangement. Go to Galilee. Go to Galilee. First Jesus says before he's crucified, then the angel tells the women there at the tomb, and then Jesus himself says, Go and meet me in Galilee. Notice, too, it says they held him by his feet. Did he have feet? Well, he had, he had feet before he died. Did he have feet after he was raised? Of course he did. They held him by his feet. He had a body the same way that he died. Now, of course, it was alive, right? It was glorified. But it, but it wasn't a spiritual, metaphorical f- thing. It was the very real, live Jesus, the same as they knew him before. And we find that in Matthew, Mark, and John, the exact same story. Mark 16, 9 through 11, John 20, 14 through 18, exactly the same story. We don't have time to look at that now. But uh, then there's a net, the second time Jesus appears, and we don't find that in Matthew, but we find it in Mark and Luke. So turn with me to Luke 24. And we won't go through this whole story, obviously. Luke 24 and verse uh, 13. <clears throat> now behold, two of them were traveling that same day, that Sunday evening now, that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And verse 15, So it was, while they conversed in reason, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But of course, then they didn't recognize him. And he said to them, verse 17, What kind of conversation is that that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? So he goes on and he walks with them all the way from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is about seven miles. So they're walking along and they're talking with Jesus and they don't even recognize him all the way to Emmaus. Now, was Jesus real? Was, were they walking along and, and there was an apparition that kind of appeared? No, no, no. They, they knew he was real. In fact, they didn't recognize him. They just thought he was an ordinary person traveling along until finally they invite him to come into the house. And as they're breaking the bread, as he, as he gives thanks to the bread and as he breaks the bread, suddenly they recognize him. And just as suddenly as they recognize him, he disappears. Incredible. Incredible story. But let's go on. Let's go on. That's the second one. The third one. 
Those, those two disciples turn around and hightail it back to Jerusalem as fast as they can go. And obviously we know by the end of the story, Jesus was following them. He was going with them back to Jerusalem, even though they, he was invisible to them. He's going back to Jerusalem. They go find the other disciples who are locked and bolted inside this upper room. Bang on the door. Let us in. We got to tell you about what's, what happened. We saw Jesus. So they go in there and you find this still in, in uh, uh, Mark, Luke, and John. But since we're in Luke, we'll look at it here. Luke 24 and uh, verse 36 now. And as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, Peace to you. And they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? And notice this. This is so, so real. Makes it so real. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. You see, even even back then, they had this idea, like we do today, of ghosts and, and all these other things. They're like, oh, there's a ghost. There's a spirit. No, Jesus says, absolutely not. Come over here and touch me. Puts your, puts your hands on my hands. Look, it's really me. And he showed them his hands and his feet. But he goes a step further in verse 41. He says, do you have any food here? Now, have you, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't ask you to raise your hands. I'm, I'm not in here. I was going to say how many of you have ever seen a ghost before, but <laughs> that, that might get us distracted. But I, I want to ask you this. How many of you have ever seen a ghost eat? <laughs> Jesus says, have you any food here? And so they, they found a, a, a fish and some honeycomb. And they gave it to him. And it says there in verse 43, he took it and he ate it in their presence. Jesus is doing everything he possibly can to prove that it's really him that he raised from the dead. What else? And I, I, I skipped over this and I shouldn't have skipped over this, but back at the tomb, what was the biggest evidence that the angels showed to the disciples and to the women there at the tomb? They went in the tomb and what they see? The grave, folded grave clothes. Now, if someone had come and stolen his body, you think they would have taken the grave clothes and folded them there? I don't think so. The grave clothes were there, but his body was gone. The resurrection of Christ, and that's the point I'm trying to stress today, was a real resurrection. It was not an apparition. It was not a, a magic trick. Jesus was as much alive after the cross, after the resurrection, as he was alive for the 30 years that he spent before the crucifixion. So that's the third appearance to the disciples there in the upper room on the evening of the resurrection day. They touch him, he eats in front of them, and at the same time, he promises to them the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, in just a few days. But there was one disciple that wasn't there, Thomas. Thomas wasn't there that time. I don't know why he wasn't there. But it says in John, and you can write this reference down and look at it later, John chapter 20, 24 through 29, gives the story there of how eight days later, the next week, they're all gathered together in the same room. Thomas is with them this time, and Jesus appears again, and he speaks there to Thomas, and he says, Handle me. Puts your, puts your fingers in my hand. 
put your hand in my side, because that's the actual words that he said before. He's like, I'm not going to believe unless I can really put my fingers in the nail prints of his hand. So he, so Jesus quotes his very words and says, here, do that. Put your fingers in my hand. Know that it's really me. And this promise is for us. John chapter 20. And he said to Thomas, do not be unbelieving, but believe. And Thomas answered and said, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. And this is the promise for us, friends. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Friends, that is the promise for us today. Do we believe that Jesus raised from the dead? That's number four. Number five, on the Sea of Galilee, and we only find this recorded in John, John chapter 21, I won't read the whole chapter, but the entire chapter there gives this encounter of Jesus encountering the disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus says, I will go before you to Galilee. So after the feast, they stayed there in Jerusalem. The disciples stayed there in Jerusalem. Maybe, obviously it was like a week later because Jesus appeared to Thomas. And then sometime shortly after that, they make their way about 70 miles back to the region of Galilee. And Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go back to my old occupation. So he goes out. They fish all night. They don't catch anything. At morning comes and they see this stranger on the shore. And wouldn't you know it's Jesus. He's got a little fire going there. He's already got some food prepared. And he says, bring some fish. And they have a meal together. They, It's not just a short time, but they have time there to converse And it goes into detail about this conversation between Jesus and Peter, restoring Peter back to the position that he was as a disciple. Three times, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. They're on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus has an appointment. Jesus has an appointment with his disciples. But it's just very briefly summarized in the end of of Matthew, the meeting between Jesus and his followers. We find it in Matthew 28. And turn with me back to Matthew 28. And we'll look at that here. Verses 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And you know, my friends, It sounds as though maybe Jesus is having a a meeting there with the 11 disciples. Well, obviously the 11 disciples had had traveled from from Jerusalem up to Galilee. But turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 6. And we see what kind of a meeting Jesus had here on the mountain. After that, he, Jesus, was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Over how many? Five hundred. How many witnesses do we have to the resurrected Christ? 
living, well, at this time, living eyewitnesses having seen Jesus in his resurrected body. Over 500, of which at this, at this time, Paul says, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Jesus met on the mountain, not with just a few disciples, but with 500 followers in Galilee. These were people, many of whom I'm sure had heard Jesus before. Perhaps some had heard of him before, and they knew they had heard Jesus' statement, meet me in Galilee, meet me in Galilee. They'd heard what was going on. And so as the disciples were traveling back from Jerusalem, they were asked, what's happened? What's happened to Jesus? Their one answer was, meet me in Galilee. Because that's where Jesus said he's going to be. And by the time they got there, 500 of them were there to see the reality of his resurrection. And what does Jesus say to them? All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go. Go and make disciples. Last but not least, the followers of Jesus. And Jesus had commanded previously, he said, start in Jerusalem. And he said, told them again here, go, but start in Jerusalem. So the disciples went back to Jerusalem. And Jesus appears to them one more time in Jerusalem. We find that in Luke 24. All this is happening now in a space of 40 days. How do I know that? Acts chapter 1. We won't go there yet. All this is happening in a space of 40 days since his resurrection. Luke chapter 24. Luke 24 and verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany. Bethany was about just on the, on the other side of the Mount of Olives. About a mile and a half, a little less than two miles from Jerusalem. He led them out as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. And turn with me over to Acts chapter 1. We have that story once again. You know, Dr. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote Acts And so it's kind of almost a continuation of the same gospel, the same, the same style, the same thought here to go from Luke and jump straight into Acts. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. My friends, Jesus has given us another appointment. He's given us a job to do. He said to go. The angel said, this same Jesus will come again in the same manner as you've seen him go. Jesus said before, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. My friends, 
the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus stands at the core of our hope and our belief. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul shows how if we, if we disregard this teaching, this understanding of the resurrection, the entirety of the Christian doctrine and teaching unravels. It's like the knot. You know, if you do crocheting or, or knitting, it's like the knot at the end of the string. And if you take that knot out, everything pulls out. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, but the dead do not rise. And if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now, Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. My friends, Christ raised from the dead. And this is a thought that I want to leave you with. That just in the same way that Christ was raised from the dead. In his bodily form, in the same way, our loved ones who have fallen asleep will be raised up too. The hope that we have to look forward to is not a hope that a soul or our, our soul or our essence or our spirit will, will float around in the clouds and, and play a harp forever and ever. No, the hope that we have to look forward to is to be raised to live and to reign with Christ as as really and as truly as you and I live now, sitting in the pews of this church. We will live again. And my belief, friends, my firm belief, because Jesus said so, is he's coming again to take us home. And I believe that most of us here today, I hope all of us here today, will still be alive to see him coming in the clouds again. My friends, Jesus made an appointment with his disciples before he died. Meet me in Galilee. It would have been well for them if they had done what I do. Write it on the calendar. Meet me in Galilee. And when Jesus died, did Jesus erase that appointment? Or did he keep his appointment? My friends, Jesus has made another appointment. He wants to meet you and me in his kingdom. And he's coming right back here to get us. Are you ready for him? Because though he has been absent in body from this world for a few years, do not give up hope. He is still alive. And he's coming back for you. Loving Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the hope that because he lives, we can live too. Lord, we're looking forward to that day 
that Jesus has appointed for us when he's coming soon in the clouds of heaven to take us home. Help us, Lord, to be ready for that day. Not like the disciples, discouraged, dejected, and doubting. But let us look to you in confidence, knowing that what you have started, you will surely finish. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.